So we start our Christmas series that's going to be going through the month of December, God with us. I want to talk a little bit this morning quickly about what does that mean? What does it mean, God with us? The theological term is the word incarnation. And it means that God became flesh and he dwelt among us. The author and preacher Max Licato puts it this way in his book, The Gift. God chose to reveal himself through a human body. The tongue that called forth the dead was a human one. The hand that touched the leopard had dirt under its nails. The feet upon which the women wept were calloused and dusty. And his tears. Don't miss the tears. They came from a heart as broken as yours or mine has ever been. So people came to him. They came to Jesus. My, how they came. They came at night. They touched him as he walked down the street. They followed him around the sea. They invited him into their homes and placed their children at his feet. Why? Because he refused to be a statue in a cathedral or a priest in an elevated pulpit. He chose instead to be a touchable, approachable, reachable Jesus. There is not a hint of one person who was afraid to draw near to him. There were those who misunderstood him. There were those who revered him, but there was not one person who considered him too holy, too divine, or too celestial to touch. There was not one person who was reluctant to approach him for fear of being rejected. Here we see God, immortal, who is above all confinements confinements of time, of pain, of duty, but yet he chose to clothe himself in mortality. Why? Because of his love for you and for me. Over the next few weeks, we are going to discuss the impacts of Emmanuel, God with us, on the mountain, in the valley, in the crowded streets, the empty desert, in our hope and in our waiting, we are never alone. God is with us. This morning we are going to look at God with us in the valley. I'm going to ask if you'll just join me in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time that we just get to hear from your word. And I pray that it won't be my words that are heard, but I do pray that your Holy Spirit, who is here with us now, would speak as you desire. Give us ears to hear you. God, no one needs ears to hear me. Give us ears to hear you this morning. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So this morning we're going to look a little more in depth at God in the valley. So first thing I I want us just to venture into a little bit and explore is what is a valley? This might seem pretty rudimentary, but bear with me. See, when you look at scripture, it's interesting that valleys often represent several things. Valleys were often places where battles took place, specifically large, wide valleys. Sometimes when we read 
the Bible, it can be easy to simply make the Bible in our terms and think of our world, but remember that it was written at a specific time to a specific people. And when you hear about events, when you hear about mountains and valleys, they aren't just speaking allegorically, they're speaking to specific landscapes that were present in the stories in the day. Valleys, again, were often places where battles took place. And these wide valleys in particular were often the battles took place between different kingdoms and the Israelites fought various kingdoms in the land. Some of you right now, you may be in a battle. You may be in a valley that is filled with battle. In the Bible, valleys often had a negative connotation. Often when you see a a valley in the Bible, you would see a place that was very dangerous. There could be narrow, treacherous terrain. There would be thorns and wild animals. There could also be people waiting to jump you and rob you. These were often isolated places. It would be similar to like the parable of of the Good Samaritan if you're familiar with the Bible. And if you're not, it's okay and I'm glad that you're here this morning. In fact, it was very difficult to get through a valley without something bad happening to you. This would be specifically true of narrow valleys, gorges that were cut amongst the rocks. Symbolically, valleys were seasons of desperation and loneliness. They were places of heartache and failure. Yet it's interesting that valleys were also places of growth. We may enjoy God on mountaintops. Mountaintops, as we know, are victorious, where we get to see everything. We may love mountaintops. But it is true also that we often most get to know God intimately in the valleys. I'm going to ask in your Bibles, if you want to open to the book of Psalms, and go to Psalms chapter 84. If you're unfamiliar with your Bible, if you're not really sure where that is, essentially go right in the middle, and you're probably going to end up in either Psalms or Proverbs. The book of Psalms chapter 84. In Psalms 84, 6, we see the psalmist write about a particular valley called the Valley of Baca. I'm not very good with my Hebrew. I'm pretty sure I'm supposed to spit more than that. The Valley of Baca. Now this, again, was a real place, but it is also used illustratively to speak to us today. The Valley of Baca was uh, translated the Valley of Weeping or the Valley of Lamentation. Scholars and translators believe there are two main reasons why this valley is called a Valley of Weeping. First is this. The Valley of Baca was more likely related, uh, was potentially related to a tree of similar, similar spelling. This tree would ooze out sap. If you walked by this tree, people said the tree was called a weeper. It looked like the tree was crying. And that's why the Valley of Baca is translated in different ways in Scripture. It's called the Valley of Tears. It's called the Valley of Weeping. It's called the Valley of Loss. Secondly, the Valley of Baca is is and, and was a valley in Palestine. Again, it's a specific place connected with the name because it was gloomy and sterile. In the psalmist days, pilgrims probably passed through this waterless valley on their way to Jerusalem to worship. The psalmist uses the Valley of Baca symbolically to illustrate a difficult and sorrowful path in life. 
The name of the valley indicates a dry, arid region, since this is where these type of weeping trees tended to grow. And people traveled to Jerusalem to worship. And then they would pass through on their way through this weary, weeping place. Now I ask you this morning, can any of you relate to a valley of weeping? A valley of sorrow. A valley of tears. A spot in your journey where things have dried up. Where life has become incredibly difficult to survive. Where everything that is life-giving to you seems distant and out of reach. A time of grieving and sorrow. See, this morning we're talking about arid, sun-scorched, lifeless. We're talking the valley. So let's dive a little bit into the journey here. Again, our portion of scripture we're going to be working out of today is Psalms 84. Verses 5 to 7 reads this. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, God, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Now as we talk about journeying, we're not talking about taking a charter flight. We're not taking a rental car. This passage is talking about those who journey on foot. Now, if it's not clear to many of you by now, I'm going to clarify that I am unapologetically a city kid. Those of you who talk farm with me, I have learned enough to bluff. But I am definitely a kid from the city. Now, I married a girl who truly, truly, she's from the city, but she truly comes alive when she's in nature. That's life-giving to her. Better than any medicine she could ever take is being in the mountains. And she comes alive when we get to go there and to go for hikes and walks. I'm going to be honest with you. I am naturally lazy. In grade school growing up, I quickly learned why would I read a book when I can watch a movie on the book way faster. I sadly did not read a book from cover to cover until my first year of college. Mr. Boisman, I still managed to get an A, though, in English class, so I'll have to get my English teacher to talk to you. And I would ask the question, why would I hike when I could drive somewhere? Why walk? when you can drive, or take a plane. But even with that, in my time, specifically as I spend time with my wife and the things that I have done with her, I've learned a few things about going on a long journey. I want to quickly look at a couple important things needed for your journey through the valley. First is this. You need to have the right rations and equipment. No matter how experienced or inexperienced you are, to go on any lengthy journey requires the right equipment. You need good shoes. You need proper clothing for the environment. 
If it's a really long journey, you're going to need to have food. You're going to need to have rations. If you're hiking in the mountains, you need to have bear spray, and you need to make sure you have it before you hear something rustling in the bridge, in the bushes 40 minutes into the walk. You have to bring it with you. Here's an important one. You need a guide. You need a group of people to go with, not just yourself. It's very difficult to get through the valley. And this is why the psalmist says this in verse 5. He says, blessed are those whose strength is found in you, God. Blessed are those whose strength is found in you. It's the word strength, your might, your strength, your material, your, your physical strength, your personal, your social, your political, your everything. Your strength is found in God. Where do you find your strength? When you are most beat down, when you blow it at work, when you just had an argument with your spouse, when your kid tells you about something he's been lying about for months, and they've gotten themselves into a problem that they can't get out of and you don't know how to get them out. When you feel like breaking down emotionally and physically, where do you get your strength? Blessed are those whose strength is found in you. It doesn't say blessed are those who are really determined. Because this isn't about self-willing yourself and pushing through. It's not a matter of if, but when you hit the end of your personal reserve of strength, where does your strength come from? Pastor Craig Rochelle says this, If you don't know God intimately, then what you have is all you have. But for those who are Christ followers, we believe that we have a strength that goes beyond just what we have. That we have access to a heavenly strength. And that's why the psalm has said, Blessed are those whose strength is found in you. We believe that when we get to the end of our strength, that there is a heavenly strength. There is a divine strength. The Bible tells us that in our weakness, he, meaning God, is strong. Contrary to what many in our culture would say, we were not created to be independent. We were created by our God to depend on him. And in that, he's also given us this unique extended family called the church, where we are to also receive strength and support from him through them. Blessed are those whose strength come from the Lord. If you're going to make it through the valley, you need to have the right tools at your disposal. You need to have the things that are going to give you nourishment, sustenance, and the equipment that you need. You need to have strength. Strength beyond just your own. Second thing you need if you're going through a journey this morning is you need to know your destination. And you need to have a way of planning that out and getting there. Whether that be a map or a compass, you need to know the destination. I'm sure all of us have our stories of going the wrong way. I, for one, have never had that happen to me. And I have a perfect record. 
but there may be someone who looks like me. That one time when he was a youth pastor, first, first time being a youth pastor in my life, I came out of Bible college. I was, I think, three months out of Bible college. And I was going to take our youth worship team to a concert in Lethbridge. There was a worship band that was doing a concert and was going to take them there as part of their mentoring and training. And I made the mistake of I trusted one of my youth leaders to plan the map, plan the, the, the kind of the access we were going to take down there and just give me directions. The drive should have taken an hour and a half. Two hours into the drive, we were at an Indian reserve I've never been at before. And we took a four-hour drive home, eventually, without the concert. You need to know where you're going. You have to know where you're going. Sometimes we can feel like God has dropped us or forgotten us in the valley. Some of you feel all too resonant with what David wrote in Psalm 23. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You feel that. And he also says, I will fear no evil. As in every journey, it is key to knowing ahead of times where your destination is. Psalm 84.5 talks about those whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. And then in Psalm 84.7, it says, they go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Now, I want to talk about what this means, but let's give a little context to it by looking at the beginning of this psalm. Psalm 84.1. The psalmist is speaking of his love of the temple, the place where people came to worship God. It says this in Psalm 84.1-4, How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty! My soul yearns and even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may have her young, a place near your altar, Lord Almighty, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Now a reminder from, from those who went through our Through the Bible series that we just did this, this fall, that we've just recently completed. At this point in the Old Testament, God chose to have his presence on earth in a specific location, in the temple or the tabernacle. And what a blessing it was to the Israelites, God's people, to have the temple, because that was where God's presence rested. And so those, as we see, those who were making their pilgrimage would be the journey worshipers, uh, those who went to Jerusalem to meet God at the temple. That's the pilgrimage it's talking about. The New Living Translation highlights this verse, and it says, What joy for those whose strength comes from the Lord, who set their minds on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. Now, what does it mean we're on a pilgrimage? It means that you may be in a valley that is dry and barren, but the valley is not the destination. You're on the way to Jerusalem. A place that was known as a city of refuge. A place that housed the presence of God, the city of God. Your valley 
This morning is heading to something. And you can't forget that. Yet as we wait to be united with God in the new Jerusalem that the Bible talks about, when it talks about when the end of this world comes, that there would be a new Jerusalem, a new city of God, where we are then able to be with God face to face in his presence. Yet we see in, throughout the New Testament an encouragement like we do in 2 Corinthians four eighteen, that we are to fix our eyes not on what is seen, not just looking at the valley, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Your current situation may be in the valley, but your mind can still be set upon God. Colossians 3 verse 2 says, Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Philippians 4 8, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, Think about such things. You need to keep your mind focused on where you are going so that you don't become confused and lost in the valley of tears. You don't want to repeat what the children of Israel did wandering in the desert. And if you've been in church, you know how God freed his people from the slavery of Egypt and they come out and they wander through the desert for 40 years because they were disobedient and didn't listen to God. And eventually they're brought into the land that God promised them, a place where they'd be able to be fruitful, multiply, and be blessed. But did you know that in that 40 years, did you also know that there were Israelites who on their own chose to not go to the promised land and decided they eventually became content with the wilderness? Some of us can be tempted and we eventually become so numb and so worn out because we're overwhelmed by the valley and we lose sight of Jerusalem, we lose sight of the city of God, that we become content with it. And we stay there. As the prophecies led to Jesus being born, as we see that in the book of Matthew, that Jesus comes to earth. We have to remember that many who were waiting for the Messiah, who was Jesus, Many of them missed out on him because many of them were so focused on their worldly problems. They were looking for a Messiah, but their context was they wanted someone who would simply just change their personal world circumstances. They were looking for a king who would come and overthrow the Romans so that they could then be rulers of their own land. But Jesus came for so much more than that. He came so that they could have eternal freedom and access to God. You have to know your destination. You have to keep it in mind as you walk through the valley. Finally, thirdly, you need to be prepared for the promised unforeseen. Any experienced hiker will tell you, you have to be prepared for what you can't see. I have learned this In walking through, I again, I am in no means the person who is an expert on hiking. But in a little bit that I've done, I have learned that there are not big neon signs in the woods that say there is a bear 300 yards from here. You don't get warning on that. 
They also don't put out signs saying the temperature is going to drop 15 degrees over the next two hours. You have to be prepared. Jesus himself warned those who would become followers of him. In this world, you will have trouble. In this life, you will have struggle. You will have valleys. You will have times where it seems so dry, so arid, so drought-filled that you don't know how you're going to be able to keep moving. Know that that is coming. But take heart. Take courage. Jesus says, I have overcome the world. The main issue with the the journey through this valley of Baca is the desert-like terrain. This would lead to very little life available in these plains. And obviously the, the issue of dehydration. Again, this land was known as dry, arid, and sterile. Yet we see this again in Psalms, in verse 6. The psalmist says that those on pilgrimage to Jerusalem, these, these individuals, they make the valley, they make it a place of springs. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The King James Version says it this way, they make it a well. They make it a place of springs. In other words, whenever you are found in the valley, and it is dry, and it is arid, what do you do? When life gets to the point where you don't know how to handle it anymore, you don't know what to answer, you don't know how to to even move forward, what do you do? You dig a well. You make a hole as a container for the provision of rain that God will send. Goes on to say that God brings the autumn rains which also cover it, cover the valley with pools. While we are in the valley, things are dry and they are desolate. And we are told to dig wells, to dig holes in anticipation of rain. Does it not feel awkward? For those of you who are found right now and you are in a season where you truly are in a valley, you might not just find this awkward, you might find it infuriating. When we are in the valley, it can be a scary part of life. We can feel desperate and unsure how we are even just going to survive. Digging a well might seem pointless, unrealistic. Some of you, like me, need to be reminded that Jesus is Emmanuel. God with you. Jesus has come and God is no longer simply in the temple, but he is with you in the valley. And it may seem dry, and it may have seemed dry for months, it may have seemed dry for years, and for some of you, it may have seemed dry for decades. 
but rain is coming. God hasn't sent it yet, and it's dry right now. And you are hurting. But you need to make room for the presence of God. You need to make room for the provision of God. So you need to make a well. I struggle with this, if I'm honest with you. I don't struggle with the theory of it, but I struggle with it in my life. Because it feels very counterintuitive to me. When I'm truly hurting, it's not because I'm a passive player in my life. It's because circumstances have got to the point where I don't know what to do anymore. And the idea of stopping and making a well. God, I have already tried everything I can think of. I have already done everything that is there and there's just not an answer. Things are desolate. That doesn't make sense. And digging a well is only using the little bit of energy that's keeping me alive. You need to make a well. That means you need to make room for God to show up in your life in miraculous ways. Not just on the other side of the valley, but right in the midst of the valley of tears. You need to make a container preparing for the presence and provision of God. When I'm frustrated, sometimes pursuing and turning to God can feel, again, the most counterintuitive. But God's words are this. Hear this this morning, because for those of you who are in, like, valleys that are beyond drought, please bear with me. Because this might sound trite, but it's not. These aren't just words that are softly spoken. And I hope that neither you nor me say these simply as cliches. But God says this, if you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. If you make room for me, I will reveal myself. If you haven't sensed the presence of God in a long time, if you've spiritually come to the point of being broken down by the valley, can I challenge you like I need to be challenged? It's time to make a well. It's time to dig a ditch. And it's time to say, God, I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop cluttering. I'm going to stop trying to do what I can to survive. And I'm going to make time to wait in your presence. I'm going to invite you to fill this. And I'm going to wait on you. God is with you to take you through the valley, not just out of it. Make room for him. Seek him and wait for him. Finally this morning, you're like, you said finally a little while ago, finally this morning. I want to talk about what we find in. Because in the valley, finding in the valley, we find the wonderful Counselor. Another prophecy speaking of Jesus is found in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, which says this For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, 
And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Wonderful, marvelous, extraordinary, hard to even imagine, Counselor. One who gives advice and consults, devises, gives a plan, and is a guide for purpose. God rarely reveals himself to the people that rush past him. He is a wonderful counselor, not a wonderful dictator. I have learned, even though I'm still lazy and I still like to drive, but I have learned that when you hike, you often find beautiful views and scenery, things that you would miss if you rush by. Don't rush past God. God never ever promised that you would not go through a valley. Again, in this world, you will have trouble. Through times of difficulty and drought, he promised you would never have to go through the valley alone because he is with you. The virgin will give birth to a child and his name will be Emmanuel, God with us. In Psalms 84, 7, it says, They, those who are on this journey through the valley of Baca, they go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Again, Craig Crischel says this about Psalm 84, 7. They go from strength to strength. Blessed are those who experience the strength of God. Blessed are those whose strength is found in you. Then they go from a little bit of strength to a little more strength, to even more of God's strength, to even more of his strength. In our most desperate, lonely of deserts, when no one else can even begin to understand or relate to what you are going through, he is the great counselor. If we make a well and give room for him to speak, he can advise, consult, empower, and guide us. It is in these valleys that God often most deeply works in us, developing us, Stripping us of other things that we believe will give us strength to realize our need for his strength. Stripping us of other things that we believe are truly our hope but aren't and are showing and shows the emptiness of it. So this morning, as we close, I want to ask you, who is God to you today? In the middle of your weakness, God is your strength. When you are in darkness, God is light. When you are overwhelmed by pain and sadness, God is your comforter. And in times of grief, trouble, and deep confusion, he is your mighty counselor. That's who our God is. I'm going to ask if you'll stand with me. This morning as we close, I want to, I want to challenge you with three questions. I'm going to ask if you'll close your eyes as I ask these three questions because they're meant for personal reflection. I promise you no one's going to do anything to you while your eyes are closed. Question number one is this. Where does your strength come from? Where does your strength come from? This is not a hypothetical question. Really, your life right now, not the answer you know you should say, 
Where does your strength come from? Question number two is, where are you going? What's the destination? Have you lost sight of that? Have you become so trapped by the valley, so lost in it, that you've forgotten the destination? Finally, number three, have you dug a well? For the things that are in your heart and are a challenge in your life right now, for the things that overwhelm you and keep you up at night, are you preparing for God to show up? Not are you telling God what to do. Are you digging a well? Are you opening in yourself time, space to listen and to invite his presence to hear him, not just tell him, but hear him? Are you giving room for him to take over and speak into it?